From the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery, I'm Josh Young, and this is As Seen From Here. On today's podcast, all cruelty springs from weakness. If you have a shallow chamber in an otherwise normal axial length eye, look out, because just about always that means the zonules are loose. First this. As seen from here reaches ophthalmologists in 98 countries, transfers more than half a terabit of podcasts every month, but the potential audience is much larger. Please tell your colleagues about this free resource, Flattening the Ophthalmic World. And while you're at it, let your residents and fellows know about Open Ophthalmology, a free basic science video podcast, already a force in ophthalmic education with 1,800 viewers watching 6,000 video lectures every month. Information wants to be free. Help me give it away. Seneca the Younger, Roman philosopher, statesman, and closet ophthalmologist, advised us that all cruelty springs from zonular weakness. Okay, Seneca left out the zonular part, but I'm sure that he meant it. Zonular weakness is the bane of cataract surgeons, and dealing with this often unforeseen difficulty is the work of David Chang. David has been a popular guest on a scene from here, and now once more into the zonular breach. Sometimes we see the telltale signs of zonular dialysis preoperatively, but, but sometimes not. Without the, the benefits of the great visuals that you showed today, can, can I get you just to describe how you handle these cases? All right. Uh, let me just start first, Josh, by talking about with, say, pseudoexfoliation, are there signs preoperatively that allow the surgeon to predict who's going to have weak zonules? Because obviously we can't touch the lens at the slit lamp. Um, knowing that pseudoexfoliation is a progressive zonulopathy, I think there's some trends that help. Uh, the pseudoexfoliation material is deposited in the back of the iris. So the longer someone has that, the smaller the pupil will be. So if I see a small pupil with pseudoexfoliation, usually that means you're going to have some uh, degree of abnormal zonules. Secondly, the more brunescent the lens is, that will also correlate with weaker zonules in pseudoexfoliation. And then finally, you know, I think the most reliable and also the most ominous sign is that if you have a shallow chamber, in an otherwise normal axial length eye, look out, because just about always that means the zonules are loose. Once we get into the eye, uh, the the first sign will be during the capsulorexis. That's really kind of your zonular stress test, because you're yanking on a flap, and what anchors the peripheral lens capsule is the tension in the zonules. And so as you start to move the flap around, if you see, the, the place to look is the peripheral capsule. It normally shouldn't move. But if the peripheral capsule is starting to move and sort of almost stretch, and I call this pseudo-elasticity, it's almost like an elastic capsule in a younger uh, patient, that means you're missing the zonular tension in that area and you have weak zonules. What should one do? Well, I think all of the strategies that we use require an intact rexus. So you must have an intact rexus at all costs. And to me, that means erring on the small side 
when I make the capsulorexis, when I see these signs of weak zonules. Because as long as I can complete the rexis, I can use strategies like capsule retractors, a capsule tension ring, et cetera, et cetera. But if I tear the zonule, uh, tear the capsule peripherally, you can't use all of these helpful things. So even though obviously it's easier to do the case with a large rexis, you have to almost err a little in the small side. Everyone must know how to do Brian Little's capsule tear-out maneuver, how to rescue an escaping uh, anterior capsule tear, but it's particularly useful in pseudoexfoliation with the weak zonular complex because, again, the peripheral capsule is moving, and what Brian Little's maneuver is, in, in essence, doing is tensing up the capsule by pulling backward on it, giving enough tension to the capsule that then when you tear inward, uh, you can control that. And this was written up very nicely in the JCRS about two years ago. Uh, then we get to, uh, assuming you can complete the rexus, then we get to the issue of how to do the case. Uh, frequently, you know, with pseudoexfoliation, of course, you've got a small pupil to begin with. And I would urge people to do take that extra time to enlarge the pupil. Even though you think you may not need it, these are tough cases. This is the one time I really like iris retractors for my pupil instead of a Malugan ring. And that is because should you discover as you do the rexus that the zonules are weak but you complete the rexus, you can simply advance those iris retractors now further to capture the CCC edge. Be careful not to tense it up too much. If you put that on too much stretch, you're going to tear the rexus edge uh, during the maneuvering, including the phaco. But the whole idea of capsule retractors as opposed to a CTR is very important. How do CTRs work? You're basically redistributing the forces of the surgical maneuvers uh, to the sort of entire zonular complex. Works nicely if, say, you're missing three or four clock hours of normal zonular tension because you're using the remaining eight to nine clock hours. But as you get more progressive, diffuse circumferential zonulopathy, wow, now you really don't have anything to hold that lens. The beauty of capsule retractors, and Dick McCool has designed some. The case that I showed this morning, I, I'm showing the new MST capsule retractors, which uh, are based a lot on a design by Bonnie Henderson. The nice thing about these is they're longer. They transmit some of the force to the equator of the bag because the, the hook is long enough. And so you are really anchoring the capsular bag to the inner wall of the eye. Really important because the CTR can't do that. So you're supporting the lens complex in the AP direction. Uh, number two, you're giving rotational stability. You know, it's so hard sometimes to rotate the nucleus inside a loose capsular bag. Uh, and then finally, you know, you're, you're sort of distending the equator with the, the point pressure from the hooks, and that will minimize as you get less and less nucleus present the tendency of the peripheral capsule to want to be aspirated uh, by the phaco tip. So, to me, capsule retractors are far more effective than a CTR. I think if you have a real weak zonular case, I sometimes will put in the capsule retractors first, maybe put in a CTR second. Again, my goal there is to avoid the tendency of the peripheral capsule to want to get aspirated, which it will in cases of extreme zonulopathy. But if I'm only going to do one, I want to use the capsule retractors. And I generally, if I can get away with it, like delaying the CTR until much later in the case. Why? Uh, because, of course, it will frequently, not always, but frequently trap 
cortex uh, in the periphery. Uh, beware when you do the FACO. Uh, this is a point that I made in this case today that you think you got through the hard part because you chopped it, you got, you know, most of the fragments out. And actually the most precarious point in the case is when you are down to the last one or two fragments because now the posterior capsule is exposed. And what you must remember is if you don't have zonular tension on the posterior capsule, it's very pliant, it's very lax, and it just wants to get sucked right up into your phaco tip. Even with the normal, say, lower levels of vacuum you might use for an epinucleus. So what really helps at this point is to use a dispersive OVD. In the U.S. right now, that means um, visco. And before you go after that last one or two fragments, inject a lot of dispersive into the bag, it's going to balloon the bag open and essentially push, tense up the posterior capsule and push it a concave away from you, uh, making up for the deficient zonules. Uh, that's really important because it's, it's at that last fragment that often the posterior capsule jumps up, uh, even if you try to put, say, a chopper or something uh, in between. Uh, for cortex, I really like using bimanual INA couple advantages there. As you know, you can switch hands, so there's no problem with the subincisional area. Secondly, uh, you can uh, really, by switching hands, do most of that case with the aspirating port facing toward the cornea and not toward the fornix or the posterior capsule. And then finally, you don't have the constraint of the infusion sleeve, which means you can start your aspiration far more peripherally in the equatorial area, sort of thereby uh, minimizing the chance that you're going to suck the uh, the capsulorexis. Um, another important uh, time to use viscoat is, again, when the posterior capsule is flying up toward you. Yes, you want to make sure your flow and your vacuum are low. Yes, you want to make sure your infusion bottle is high. But that capsule without good circumferential zonular tension is still going to fly up to the uh, tip. That's when you stop and reload the capsule with viscoat and you just totally distend it open. It resists aspiration, holds the capsule back for you, just like the zonules, uh, if they were healthy, uh, would have. Of course, you do all this, and now you have to decide where to put the lens. How are we going to sort of reduce the chance of late bag IOL dislocation? Uh, this is the point where I will put a CTR in. Uh, I'm interested in uh, avoiding capsule contraction. I'm also interested in avoiding the tendency for the peripheral capsule to get crumpled and, and drawn in centrally. And uh, I'll basically do one of uh, two things. If the zonules, I think, aren't too bad, at that point I'll put a lens in the sulcus with a three-piece. Three uh, I like three-piece lenses because they give you a little more uh, compressive force, but I think if you have a CTR, a, a single piece is fine. But I think an underutilized option, because, you know, let's face it, the Sioni ring, the capsule tension segment work very nicely, but uh, the average surgeon either doesn't, uh, have them available or has very little experience with them. They're very time-consuming. So most people put the lens in the bag and don't put one of these sutured elements in. And I think that an underutilized strategy is to simply place the three-piece IOL in the sulcus. And remember that if you do that, you can use the uh, rexus to still capture the optic, which helps with centration, and now your optic will prevent capsulophimosis. I'm absolutely convinced 
that this will reduce the overall um, force transmitted to the zonules by saccadic movements of the eye where the, the mass and momentum of the IOL causes the shearing motion on the zonules over time. Uh, now you've got at least some of that force transmitted through the haptic directly to the ciliary body. So I love putting the lens in the sulcus capturing the optic with the rexus in these really weak zonule cases. And I think that's a, a an alternative uh, to actually suturing an element in. Should the bag totally dislocate later on, now it's actually pretty easy to try to actually suture that haptic in the sulcus to the sclera, uh, uh, you know, to achieve that. And you also have a CTR in the bag uh, to do the same. So uh, a lot of hints, a lot of strategies, because, you know, these cases are really tough. They, they pose challenges at virtually every step of the procedure. And then even if you do flawless surgery, you have to worry about late bag IOL dislocation. There are some real pearls that that I'm that I'm taking home from the presentation that you made on dealing with cataracts that arise from from trauma for the people who didn't make it to the winter update this year who I'm sure will be looking forward to seeing you next year David uh, what are some of the uh, pearls that you can throw to them just right now yeah, I, I think with uh, trauma, um, you know, everything I said about weak zonules uh, still applies. Um, uh, the one thing that so frequently uh, accompanies the traumatic cataract with zonular dialysis or, or uh, zonular weakness is, of course, some type of iris abnormality or iris defect. And and so the case that I showed was uh, also one of a traumatic medriasis. Unfortunately, all the various uh, artificial IOL options are not uh, FDA approved, and it's uh, you know it's a, it's a, a bureaucratic nightmare sometimes to try to go through to get a compassionate use uh, exception. Uh, but for trauma, you know, usually you don't have a loss of iris tissue; you just have a torn sphincter muscle. And uh, to me, what works very very well is pupil cerclage. And my favorite technique, I have just found by doing it all different ways that the you know, sort of suturing around the edge with multiple little passes uh, takes so much time. And surprisingly, you can get a beautifully round pupil by just making two interrupted sutures in the pupillary edge, incorporating, though, making those bites about three clock hours apart. And uh, so the case that I showed was basically doing that, and you make two interrupted iris sutures, 180 apart, you need to incorporate, again, just the iris edge, but you have to take big bites about three clock hours apart. And what that does is it just draws your pupil down into a round shape. Uh, and if you uh, make it four clock hours apart, you're going to have maybe a three millimeter pupil. Three clock hours apart, you get a four millimeter pupil. And it's uh, cosmetically works very good. And of course, functionally, uh, you know, uh, works fantastic, covers the edge of the IOL and so forth. So uh, this has been wonderful. You know, you it's a mechanical uh, technique. Uh, I use the intraocular micro forceps from MST. I don't have any financial interest in any of these uh, instruments. And the, the suture that you used, that I saw you use, was, was ten, tenoproline? Yeah, was it's it? tenoproline because it's iris. And uh, the uh, Seepser slip knot is a great way to tie it, uh, you know, right down uh, without sort of drawing the pupillary edge to an incision and thereby risking, uh, you know, tearing the iris loose. So, gosh, I've done this, uh, you know, two dozen times or so, and I'm, 
I'm always, uh, it's, it's always so fun to cinch that down and do the second one. And my gosh, the pupil looks round. So, so cosmetically, uh, you get a great result and you don't have to put in an artificial iris uh, element or enroll the patient in a, in a clinical trial. David, it's a treat speaking with you every time that we speak. Thank you, Josh. David Chang is clinical professor of ophthalmology at the University of California, San Francisco in San Francisco, California. I spoke with Dr. Chang at the 2011 ASCRS Winter Update. Ask questions of Dr. Chang or any of our previous guests, or make a comment about any of the topics we've discussed. These interviews are meant to be the start of a conversation in which you participate. Write to me with your questions or comments at jungmd at gmail.com. As Seen From Here is a production of the American Society of Cataract and Refractive Surgery. Be a part of the next podcast. I'm Josh Young.